Coming to you from the Windy City. Welcome to Let's Talk Shop, a podcast about all things cloud and enterprise tech. Listen to insights and guest interviews with IT thought leaders and professionals. Now, here's your host, Elias Kanaser. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Let's Talk Shop. Today's guest is a special guest. I have the president and CEO of Flexera, Jim Ryan. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Eli. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So you probably talk to a ton of customers throughout your day, throughout your week. I'm curious from all of your interactions, what's top of mind today for C-levels, for the executives? What's keeping them at night? I think top of mind today, speaking in, in March of 23, is is a theme that, that's been going on now for you know a quarter or two, and that's the economic uncertainty that that sea levels are are faced with navigating through. And I think um, you know any any reading of the Wall Street Journal or some of the financial headlines are are, are fairly turbulent times still. And I think any C-level that's, that's got to guide a company not only to deliver short-term results, but long-term value creation as well, is, is trying to really figure out what does it mean for his or her own entity. Uh, technology, technology CEOs and technology C-level executives certainly have had a rough go over the last quarter or two if you look at what they've had to do to their organizations. Yeah, that's a fair point. So in the Twitter sphere in the last couple of months, there's, there's been a lot of conversations on, on cost, cost optimization, but there's also been some talk and I haven't seen it mainstream, but I'd love your feedback here. There's been some talk on the fact that, hey, cloud's too expensive and we're going to move back on premises like that. This that's repatriation. Right. Repatriation. Right, right. Are you seeing that? Are you hearing that? What's your take on it? I'd, I'd love to get your opinion. Well, to, to your first point, I mean, it is all cost all day long, uh, right? Rule number one, when the economy starts to go south or you think it's going to go south, cut cost and, and make sure you just keep in your powder dry and, and uh, doing things to run a pragmatic business. And I think, um, you know, oftentimes you're, you're now hearing uh, the word efficiency come out of the mouths of some of the, the more celebrity type CEOs that are in Silicon Valley, we're trying to run a more efficient business. And efficiency is code word or a euphemism for cutting costs and, and being more profitable. I think that, um, you know, by and large, I tend to view costs in three buckets. I, I think a post-COVID world has shown, the, shown many C-levels that you don't need a ton of square footage any longer in many, in many industries, if not most industries. So I think what everybody's doing and what everybody's taking advantage of post-COVID is reducing the amount of square footage that they, they are carrying because most employees, myself included, ours included, just simply do not want to come back. And I think there's been a really nice uh, nice halo effect in, in terms of becoming more efficient with our costs there. I think the, the real ugly part of the cost bucket would be bucket number two, which is people. And in, in a technology business, 80 plus percent of all of our costs are, are going to end up being people related. And, and unfortunately, when your top line starts to slow down and abate all too often, you have to go and, and, and address people cost and let people go. 
but a subject that is near and dear to my heart and the drum that I continue to beat when I talk to customers and partners and anybody else that will listen is if you go back and take a look at your technology spend over the last five years, uh, nine times out of 10, maybe even closer 10 times out of 10, that line item is growing at a faster pace and rate than inflation and all of your other costs, uh, certainly your top line growth, and that pace and rate is no longer sustainable. And uh, it gets, I, I would make that statement even for on-premise equipment, on-premise applications. But man, oh man, when you look at what any company's paying AWS, Google, you know, Google Cloud, Alibaba, you pick it, that those costs are going up exponentially. And uh, that's where we're starting to hear more and more people talk about repatriation. I think the poster child for that is Dropbox. Now, I forget the number that they're touting, but they're saving an unconscious amount of dollars by moving out of the cloud and uh, spinning all of that up on their own data center. So it's it's got some traction. I think there's some merit to it. Like always, uh, very uh, mileage will vary, and it's it's not a one size fits all. But I think there's there's some dollars to be saved there for sure. I think those are all fair points. Now, I'd be curious, again, if this repatriation is happening mostly with some of these SaaS providers like a Dropbox where they've got massive infrastructure and maybe for them it kind of makes some sense. But for the larger enterprises, the way I'm looking at it, especially if if you're in a mode of cost cutting, right? So if you were to move out of a cloud provider, whichever that cloud provider is today, you would have to incur a pretty significant capital expense, right? right. So if you're paying $100,000 a month to a cloud provider and you're trying to move on-premises, you're going to need a couple of million dollars easily to kind of reestablish what you have, whether that's in a co-location facility or on-premises on-premises. That's not also an easy pill to swallow. Would you not agree? It, it's not. I, I mean, you, you do get into some different ways to treat, you know, CapEx versus OpEx. You know, I, I throw that over to the bean counters, but it's not an insignificant move, without a doubt. And I think you're right that uh, the people that are talking about repatriation are typically these cloud native or people that perhaps started as SaaS providers. But I think, you know, we're not seeing a lot of repatriation uh, activity going on with our enterprise customers. And right now, when, when, when we look at the data that we always cite, is about 50% of the world's workloads right now are in some type of cloud environment, but the other 50% are on-prem. And um, I think more so than, than repatriation, we're seeing just a little bit of a breath being taken in the market right now, because up until very recently, I'd go into a customer and one of the first things out of their mouths was, you know, tell me about your strategy. Well, we're cloud first. Okay, what exactly does cloud first mean? Does that mean you're getting off-prem in the cloud? Does that mean you're, you're going all SaaS for your applications? Because everybody was defining it differently. And then a lot of times, even at the CIO level, it was always a little bit underwhelming on, on hearing the details behind that because it was a board level initiative and my CEO and the the board of directors are saying that we've got to go into the cloud. And I I don't dispute that they had to go into the cloud. Going into the cloud makes a lot of sense for many, 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 many reasons. But just because the board says it's an initiative doesn't mean that that's a long-term great economic decision. And now that the top lines are starting to slow, the economy's starting to slow, we're seeing people take a breath and say, well, wait a second. 
maybe we're cloud preferred or, or we're still cloud first, but instead of this mad dash to just bang everything over as fast as we possibly can, why don't we take a look and maybe, maybe we should look at different business services or application stacks first. Where are we most vulnerable? What are, what, what are, what are the, the consequences of moving this versus that application? We're seeing people take a lot more time determining what to move over versus let's just move it all over without truly thinking through the economic consequences of that. that that's where we come in. We, 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 we help people sweep up some of the glass after that decision and move has already been made. So I, I was going to go there also. So how, how does Fluxera help? Like what do you bring to this conversation? Because I also agree with you wholeheartedly that we're also seeing the, the effects, the ramifications of folks that that we're just going to the cloud without clear business drivers, without sure. answering the question, why am I going to the cloud? They treated it almost like a virtualization 2.0 or 3.0. Oh, yeah. we're just going to go to the cloud. How are you helping them? Well, we have a set of capabilities that that uh, to, to gross oversimplification. It's, it's hybrid IT automation, or sorry, hybrid IT optimization here. And um, what we do is we, we go in and we take a look at what are the technology costs and what's the environment like on-premise. What do you have in your SaaS applications in terms of spend and usage? And what have you got going on in your public and your, your hybrid cloud or your private cloud? And uh, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, Eli, I would have been talking to you about on-prem all day long. And we did things like IT asset management, software asset management. The use case was we would go in, we can discover what was being used in your on-premise environment, uh, oftentimes on the heels of an Oracle or some other type of audit by one of your large suppliers. And we would look at what was installed, what was being used. We'd compare it to what you had in your contracts. And we saved a lot of money. We could save, uh, you know, in the ballpark of 30% of one's software, spend on software when we do that well or when we did that well. But as things started to shift towards SaaS and cloud, we continued to enhance our capabilities and we now have the ability to provide one with a holistic view of what your spend is. And um, we think that that holistic view or a hybrid view is really important because all too often when we go into organizations, we have... Uh, we have organizational design points that I think are getting in people's way to really take a holistic view. So there's still an IT asset management team or a software asset management team that looks after on-prem. And when we talk to them, we say, well, that's great, but what happens when you take a SQL Server license and put that into AWS or Azure? And oh, by the way, it costs different amounts of money depending on which cloud you put that into. And you typically get a blank stare because people aren't chartered with that down in the IT asset management realm. So then we have to go and find this group called FinOps that's become very fashionable. And there's a FinOps discipline and a FinOps foundation. And they're all about providing excellent service with your cloud spend. Well, that's great. Uh, well, what about SaaS? Well, that depends because organization A has that down with the IT asset people. Organization B puts that into the cloud and they're still not talking to one another. And that just all falls apart because you only negotiate one enterprise agreement with IBM or Microsoft or Oracle or soon to be Broadcom and VMware, SAP, and they don't really care 
um, you know, where their intellectual property and licenses and technologies are being run. It's just one agreement. And they want to know when they true up every three years, you know, what's going to happen to that. And you've got to look at it holistically because where you run this stuff matters and it matters dearly. So you brought up licensing, and yeah. I think that's that's a critical point. I don't think enough organizations understand the ramifications of of licensing, yeah. software licenses, whether it's Oracle, Microsoft, or you know, pick your provider. Yeah. What do you? What is your advice to organizations? What do they need to know about licensing? Uh, they I know there's a lot. It's a trick question, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they need to know that. Uh, you have to pay attention to it, that you can't treat it as a sideshow. And, you know, while I think we've got the world's best industry leading technology stack, you can't just bang a technology solution in and have it spit out great results. You've got to put together a team of people and you've got to wrap business processes around this because your your software and your, your license position changes on a daily basis. Every time an employee joins your organization, that is a licensable event. Every time you read the Wall Street Journal about company X just laid off 10,000 people, that is a big time licensable event. You no longer need 10,000 workday licenses. You probably right. need 10,000 less soft uh, salesforce.com licenses. And when you start to add all of these licenses up, you don't need to know anything about the flux capacitators and the underlying bits and bytes and feeds and speeds. You just need to know you're spending tens and tens of millions of dollars on this. And you should probably make sure you got somebody looking after that. So the advice, the takeaway here is uh, software licenses are crucial. And I, I know a lot of organizations do look at that. But it is pretty complicated now that it's, you know, it's the cloud, it's on-prem, it's the edge. It's, you know, how do you, you know, these hybrid use cases for, for licensing are becoming uh, pretty complex. So I it's, think that's It's fantastic. insanely complex. Yeah, we, we, we have a slide um, where I can literally get a group of people to lean in and they want to, I wish I had it. I could just pull it up like that. I can't. I'll also have to describe what it is. I've seen, had people take pictures of it and we just say, Here's an example of an Oracle database license. And if it's running on-prem with 16 cores, you know, the price is, I think it's $238,000 or something like that. But then as you gradually start to put it into uh, VMs and VMs in a connected cloud environment, it, there's three different examples where it goes from you're paying $238,000 for that license versus just under a million dollars for that very same license. Because as you go into the cloud and Oracle's charging or, or, or somebody's charging on a number of cores and things like that, you no longer control that physical environment. And you start to, to overlook that for the ease and, and agility that you get with going to the cloud. But when you start to look up and look at the uptick and what you have to spend on just one license type from a single supplier, Oracle, who has hundreds of other products that are also tied to cores, not to mention IBM, Microsoft, SAP, Broadcom, and everybody else. It's an exponentially large problem. You have thousands of, of different scenarios that uh, spit out very different numbers based on where you deploy your, your licenses. That's fair. And, and I think that that's also contributing to uh, the cost that I, I don't think a lot of uh, folks are paying attention to. If you go back on premises, 
this isn't going to go away. So I'm hoping those that are considering that understand that that's not, you know, that's not going to solve all problems. You still have to, you still have to pay attention to those. But let me ask you this. Is it better for organizations to look at how they can save money by looking at just cloud or should they look at it? Well, let's see how much we're spending with Microsoft and see if, you know, what we can optimize. How much are we spending with Oracle or IBM? What's the approach that you would recommend? Uh, our approach is, is two cliches, follow the money, think big, start small. So uh, the mistake we have seen customers make over the years and the recommendation that, that we would always say is, listen, we, we want to put together a picture of success where you have a comprehensive environment that, that follows a life cycle of a license and, and your tech spend. But, but you're not going to be able to lay something in in a short period of time and, and optimize everybody all at once. So what I say is, first of all, take a look at your procurement calendar. And, and let's look at what your next 12 to 24 months looks like. And let's sort in descending order what you're paying those suppliers. And, and let's then have a conversation about the top three ELAs that you're going to go out and negotiate over the next 24 months. And if we can just save you 5% of, of that total spend, you know, that's typically eye-popping numbers for some of these large entities that we tend to spend a lot of time with. So I think if you, if you think big, you architect an overall program, but follow the money and uh, demonstrate with one or two of your major suppliers that you can optimize and, and carve that out, then it becomes easier to get momentum, uh, whether you want to put more resources behind this or just to get people to comply. Um, it, you know, these projects don't happen just in the IT functional area. It requires some assistance from finance for sure. But procurement is, is absolutely a key stakeholder in this overall process. They're the ones that negotiate the ELAs. They're the ones that then have all of the entitlement information and you need to arm them with the data to go to the negotiating table and negotiate a great outcome. So you're the CEO of a company. So I want to ask you this as well. So how do you balance the optimization part to, to get through the economic challenges that a lot of organizations are getting through? But at the same time, those organizations that are just going to focus on optimization and aren't going to push forward are going to find themselves and others kind of in the same place, whereas those that are optimizing but still finding a way to reinvest and continue to move forward, whether it's with cloud or other technologies, are going to come out of this ahead. So yeah. how, do you, how do you balance that? Eli, I think it's one of the hardest things that any CEO has to go through. So I've, I've been affiliated with Flexera for 25 years. If you assume that we dip into a technical definition of a recession in a quarter or two, this will be, I think, my fourth recession. Again, starting with the, the dot-com bust back in 99, 2000. And I think what I've learned is that uh, things are never as good as they seem when, when times are, are clicking and full steam ahead, nor are things as, as bad as they seem. So you know, we, we've had the good fortune to be affiliated with some really great private equity partners over the last 14 years who who have been doing efficiency <laughs> for, for many years. And uh, so I think we've, we, we've, we've struck a pretty fine balance of not trying to go 
get too far ahead of our skis when things are going well. Um, and as a result, you know, we feel really good about where we are uh, entering a, a tough period of, of, of business. Like I think we're about to, to enter if we're not in it already. Here. It, it, it's impossible because as you said, if you just put the brakes on any and all spending and you stop hiring people, it, it, it has a long-term dilutive effect to you building out your talent pipeline and innovating for the future here. So I, I, I would say it's, it's probably the one thing that I spend the most time on during this type of environment is just, I, I, I tend to get a lot more involved in some of the larger investment decisions. And I think a lot of the C-levels are when you take a look at our sales cycles that we're experiencing. I sit on, um, sit on some outside boards. I, I know that most sales cycles are now extending and I think they're extending because the approval cycles are taking longer and they're taking longer because not because they've changed the guidelines. They're not even documented. It's just CFOs and CEOs are wanting to ask two or three or four or five more questions than they normally would on why we need to spend X amount of dollars now versus could we wait a quarter or two and, and just see how things shake out because, you know, things can get worse. You know, we, we, we think that it's going to be a mild recession if you, you read the trade regs and, and everything, but you don't know. Um, I used to have a chairman of the board that said, Jim, it can always go to zero, <laughs> which is a morbid, it's a morbid thought, but uh, you know, I think it's wise advice nonetheless. That's right. So I, 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 would have to, I would be remiss if I don't ask you about this. So there's a lot of talk about chat GPT in particular, about AI. I'm curious about the types of things that you're thinking about, that Flexera is thinking about, the types yeah. of conversations uh, that you're having around ChatGPT. What are your thoughts about ChatGPT? Are we building Skynet? Or did we already build it? <laughs> yeah, you know. it's both fascinating and frightening for me. I, I, I put my Flexera hat on. And at the end of the day, we're a data business. We, we, uh, we are in the, the, the business of providing what's essentially a tech enterprise technology blueprint for all of our customers. We know all of your physical devices. We know all of your virtual devices. We know what's running in your containers. We know what's running in your cloud versus your SaaS and everything else. And uh, we curate data. We, we curate data not on the enterprise tech, not only on the enterprise technology blueprint, but then we, we have people that comb through all the different licensing um, policies and programs that the thousands and thousands of suppliers that we talked about have. We, we think that's ripe for, for some type of artificial intelligence. Right now, we, uh, we have human beings. We have some machine learning that goes out and trolls for, for some publicly available information that helps us curate and enrich that data. But we, we really do think that this technology is promising in terms of going through just the hundreds of millions of data sources that we have and trying to correlate data. What, what, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is correlate different sets of data to come to insights that can help you generate some business outcomes that you're after. So from a Flexera perspective, I find it to be fascinating. We think that uh, you know, the future is, is rather interesting by leveraging that technology. Now, when I start to, I've got two daughters that uh, are both out of college now, and I start to read about you know, term papers being written with that technology and professors being concerned, you know, I just shake my head and, and I'm not sure where it ends up. I, 
really don't. Well, like all technology, some will some will end up doing fantastic things for society, and others won't be so good. I hope we don't. Uh, <laughs> I hope we don't take it too far. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So there's one more question that I have to ask, and uh, we're running out of time, but I have yeah. to ask this because we talked so much about cloud. Do you think that multi-cloud has contributed to this? Let's call it this um, this sprawl in spend, in cost, in complexity, in even the skill sets of you know finding the right folks to be able to to run these environments. Did multi-cloud cause some of this? I'm mixed on that. It's a great question. I, I'm mixed on the answer. I, I think. You know, we look at multi-cloud as a, as a tech supplier as, as a way to ultimately optimize our spend and, and, and make sure that we don't have vendor lock on a single provider and uh, that, our, that our future isn't tied to, to somebody rolling out of bed one morning and deciding to, to raise price and, and me being locked in and not being able to move. So I view multi-cloud from that perspective as a... Um, as a strategy actually to, to make sure that my costs don't sprawl and get out of control. Now, much like our repatriation discussion, in order for me to go to a second and or a third cloud provider, there, there are some dollars that have to be spent sure. initially. So, so it's all in that long-term, short-term balance in terms of you know figuring out what that ultimately means. But I, I like multi-cloud in terms of controlling my costs. I do think that uh, there's an indirect tax, maybe it's not even indirect, uh, multi-cloud and just the scarcity of resources right now to get anybody that's cloud literate is, is crazy. And uh, that's contributing to inflationary pressures with wages and driving my our costs and the industry's costs up as uh, you know, people that are proficient in this area are commanding top dollar. And um, we're even running short of going to some of these, these offshore locations that have historically been pretty cost competitive. So it just seems to be going up and up. Whether or not that's just cloud in general or multi-cloud, I'm not sure. So I, I see it a little bit of both ways actually. I've got a ton more questions to ask you, but we're out of time. The conversation with you has been fantastic. I'd love to have you back on the show soon. Maybe we can uh, take a different angle. We'll see where the economy's at at that time. And hopefully we'll be talking about, you know, the next wave of, of investments and, and where organizations will be going as opposed to just the optimization, that the huge focus on optimization that's going on uh, today. But I wanted to take this time to, to chat with you and, and to thank you so much for making the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me, Eli. Appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.